0: Welcome, everybody, to The Scott Ross Show. Again, my name is Scott Ross, and I am so fired up to have you be here today and meet a really interesting guest. Today, we're going to talk with Sam Parks, and he is an absolutely brilliant guy, as you're about to see. He's the CEO of Sapien Industries, which is a company focused on decreasing energy waste using something we all have a ton of and probably don't think much about, which is our wall sockets. So, what his company has done is designed a plug in that can track the energy use from every single outlet, and their services have saved clients millions and millions of dollars. He was working on his PhD in applied physics when he left that program to start his company, and since 2017, Sapien has already done some very, very big things. So, today, I'm going to be talking with Sam about finding the best people for your company, being accountable as a leader, mentoring young professionals in your field, and a whole lot more. I think you're going to get a a ton of value out of this. So without further ado, here is Sam. So Sam, I'm so excited that you joined the Scott Ross Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for being on. Um, I'm just wanting to have our audience get to know you a little bit. Could you just maybe talk about your background and the launch of Sapien Industries and, and your passion behind doing that?
1: Sure. First of all, thank you, Scott, for having me. I appreciate it. Um, my background started in applied physics. Actually, I was really interested in quantum computing, if you've heard that term before. Um, it's the idea of taking really, really small phenomena in our universe, um, small as in the size of an atom, and trying to make a, a computer out of them. Um, and uh, eventually I entered a, a PhD program to study how to build those um, and, and try to improve upon them. And I worked for a couple years at uh, the Singh Center for Nanotechnology in pursuit of that goal. Um, And in the middle of those studies, um, I became increasingly frustrated that there was such a disparity in the sort of movement of technology from the world of academia and the cutting edge to industry. And in particular, with the energy industry, and even more specifically, the management and understanding and automation and overall um, sort of progress or lack of progress for electrical infrastructure serving all the devices that are plugged into buildings. And so when that occurred to me, I sort of made this slow transition into industry and, and founding Sapient with our other co-founder Martin Koch. And eventually there became a crossroads where I had to make a decision between academia and nanotechnology and quantum computing and Sapient. And I'm, I'm very glad that I, eventually made the decision to commit to
0: sapient amazing now uh sapient does something that is very very unique i've never heard of anything like it before and uh you guys basically help create sustainability and correct me by the way if i describe this in the wrong way but you, you create some sustainability through being able to gu- uh or, or know and do analytics around energy usage from devices that are plugged into a, a wall outlet is that right That's correct. Yep. We originally
1: set out to address the problem that was just, um, you you may have heard of the term vampire current, um, or it's the power that is sort of residual, even when things look like they're off, um, but, but they're not really. That's kind of what we initially set out to solve was to just make sure we could automate that kind of waste out of buildings. And then we discovered once we had really made some headway on just that very simple value proposition that we had this huge wealth of data from buildings that was all sorts of electrical information about the tens of thousands of pieces of equipment that were in buildings. And we realized, wow, there's, there's actually so much more we could do with this data. And so now, um, now we do everything from predicting um, infrastructural needs in buildings, predicting Um, behaviors of the occupants of buildings, predicting the equipment that you'll need, identifying the equipment that's even plugged in in the building, um, understanding the space that is used and not used or maybe underutilized, all sorts of things, just, just from this data that comes from the plug.
0: Interesting. So, describe for the audience just what does that look like? Like is 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 the device that I have like my laptop plugged into your device that's then plugged into the wall? I mean, what what's the solution actually look like in the real world? Yeah, that you're you're
1: absolutely correct actually. It's a
0: we have a number of devices. They all basically do
1: the same thing. They're sort of standing between the wall outlet that's already in your building and all of your equipment, for example, your laptop that's plugged into it. So one of the types of devices we have is just a, it looks like a regular old power strip with like six different electrical sockets that goes usually under a desk. Um, Another one is just plugged in over the top of a socket um, or over the top of an electrical receptacle, and then you plug into that. But then we also have sort of in-wall devices that look identical to, you know, existing um, electrical sockets.
0: Fascinating. Now we are a kind of a leadership and personal development focused podcast here, and we have a lot of people who are listening that are just entrepreneurs. And so, you know, uh, I'm just curious about the process of launching Sapient and maybe some of the lessons that you learned that uh, the average person who's looking to do something significant, that maybe they're scared to take that leap, like you moved from quantum computing into the entrepreneurial world. You know, what are some of the lessons and the takeaways from that process? What did that look like?
1: Um, It was, I think the overall process was, or at least once I got my feet wet with Sapient, was eerily similar to my experience in academia in the sense that um, you end up finding that very specific people are very, very good authorities on very specific points about your business. Very, very specific points. So you'll, you know, one person is incredibly good at understanding just how to, you know, uh, set up your, your CRM or just how it has just the right advice for this, the certain tools that you're going to use to organize your business and that no one is a sort of authority on all topics. No book, no reference, no person, um, no program, no accelerator is ever a fantastic authority on everything. Um, And you really have to search. You have to be very good at searching and you have to be willing to search very, very deep to get very specific questions to all the thousands of questions that you're going to have to run your business. And that feels very uncomfortable at, the, at first, I think, because you want to just find that one sort of golden egg reference as the authority on all things that you need to build and run your business. And I, I found it, it that I that golden egg didn't exist. I had to become a professional learner of still, I think, um, consider myself just a professional full-time learner. Um, and eventually you kind of compile your own book of authority on all the things that you need to know to run your business.
0: Hmm. Now you haven't met my wife, have you Sam? I have not <laughs> well because she is an authority on absolutely everything so I just want to I don't want to throw a wrench into your hypothesis there but I'll just let you know just let you know that so maybe know I should
1: that. have said I wasn't an authority on everything <laughs> and so I
0: needed I needed those those people out there that, that are. yeah no I think it's a terrific takeaway and it's something that most entrepreneurs don't understand I mean I know that myself um First of all, we like to latch on to where things are comfortable. So if we find someone we trust and they know something about subject A, we tend to start taking their opinion on every other subject when maybe that's not the wisest thing to do. We need to, like you said, uh, A, be a, a lifetime learner, but also be willing to continually look for the specific expertise in the vein or the arena that we're trying to solve a problem. Now... As a leader in your particular sphere, one thing that I wanted to ask you about is, you lead a lot of really really smart people. Um, you're you're leading a, a big group of engineers. And in my background, I ran a couple software companies, and I know that leading people that are engineers and super bright people, it has its own unique challenges. I mean, they're less um, I don't know they're less movable in some cases because they tend to be a little more cynical. They tend to be more fact driven and um, analytical about things. And, um, you know, they are as, as smart as they are for a reason. So tell me, what is it like leading a big group of people like that? And what are some of the lessons you could give to our leaders when it comes to leading really analytical and really brilliant people?
1: We at least went into this with the idea that, um, not my own idea, but I, someone should get credit for this. I'm not entirely sure who said it first, but um, we hire the experts to tell us what to do not to tell them what to do. Um, we give them sort of a context to build in and give them sort of the boundaries. And we really just kind of let them go. <laughs> like we have, we have PhDs here in like theoretical particle physics and astrophysics, um, quantum physics. Uh, <laughs> like we're, we're all over the place, neuroscience. Um, so these are very, very advanced, specialized intelligent people. And we were very transparent, I think from the beginning in our idea that we're hiring you to be an authority in the thing that you're really, really good at. Um, we're not gonna tell you how to do what you're really good at, but we'll try really hard to communicate very transparently what we're trying to build big picture and, and maybe give you some, like, some boundaries along the way. But at no point I think have I or even any of our, our senior managers said, here's what we're going to do now go build it as best you can. I don't know that that sentence has ever left any of our mouths. Um, it's always been, um, here's what we're gonna try and accomplish, how do you think we should do it? Um, and that's that has worked fantastically for us.
0: I love it. I'm so in alignment with that. I mean, I talk about that all the time. One of my mentors is Dr. John Maxwell. I don't know if you've ever read any John Maxwell books, but, um, you know, he has an adage that if there's somebody in your organization that can do a task 80% as good as you can, you shouldn't do it, um, as a leader. And so, um, Uh, In reading your background, one of the things that stood out to me was this passion you seem to have for empowering your people and empowering your leaders. I mean, where did that come from and um, how does that really flesh out beyond what you just said, beyond saying, look, we hired you for for a reason, go be you?
1: I think, honestly, I, I have, maybe at face value, it would seem a little bit like a disadvantage, but I consider it a very strong advantage of Never having really been in industry before founding Sapient, I worked a couple years in the nanotech industry, which was really just academia with some other bells and whistles. Um, and before that I was a student. So I hadn't really experienced what maybe the um, much more prevalent experience of you know corporate, industrial engineering um, and sort of software development. I hadn't really experienced that. And so I was coming into it purely from almost um, an academic perspective. That was, I've tried to learn what this industry is and what I want it to be. And I think that was great because um, the way that it manifested was um, we believe myself and Martin and all of our senior management. And I like to think all of, all of our other engineers and, and team members as well, know that we spend the majority of our lives at work and asleep. And so if work is not a source of stability and sort of constructive um, influence on a person's life, then it's not really a place you want to be because you're spending most of your life at work. So we came into this with a very non-industrial perspective that this is where people are going to live um, for a a good portion of their day, (laughs) for a good portion of their life if they stay at Sapient. And so... You know, we we do the absolute best we possibly can with um, with benefits in terms of insurance and health benefits and retirement. Um, we pay at least um, um, at, at least market rate uh, for everyone at the company, um, if not more. We don't try to use and dangle sort of the the equity as a sort of compensator. Uh, for anything else, because we were like, we're either going to do really well and be able to pay everyone at least market rate, or we're just going to fail because we're not willing to make work a a source of potential instability. And you know, there are special circumstances where that isn't as appropriate. We were very fortunate to be able to do that. But um, and and I think lastly, so if if we start with how can we be a source of stability? Um, how can we be a source of sort of positive, kind of constructive? Um, um, environment for for our team members. I think the last thing that we did is we just we instilled or at least sought out the people who were very intrinsically um, humble in the way they go about building and working with people. Um, you know, there there's very little source of um, or there's very little telling that happens um, at Sapient. Very little this is what you're going to do. You're going to do A, B, and C and, and sort of no questions asked. There's lots of discussion. It's very academic in that sense that there are lots of ideas floating around and we have to be very good at deciding what we're going to focus on and not getting too distracted. But I think that's part of working with really fantastic people. So I I think it's a combination of all those things.
0: I love it. Now, when you give people a lot of latitude, what you then need is an environment where there's a lot of personal accountability where people are willing to own things. And so just talk about how, how does that look within your uh, leadership framework? How do you engender that in your people?
1: Yeah. Um, I think that has mostly to do with, or at least the way that we kind of sought those kinds of people out or at least attracted them was the way that we presented ourselves in the first interview. Um, that, you're really doing yourself a disservice if you don't spend a lot of time convincing the person that you're interviewing that you are a worthwhile place to work at. And here's what it's like to work here. Um, Because the last thing that we want is to, um, is for someone to, to take a position here, excited about what they think it will be. And then it ends up being something different. Um, And I think we, we, one of the ways that we sort of ensured that, with, you know, great latitude comes great ability to f- sort of focus and, and identify a proper trajectory was that you communicate that early on. We said, you know, we're, we're sort of a team of not exactly academics, but uh, a team of definitely very scientifically minded, exploratory people. Um, and we have to be very good at communicating. Communication is, a, um, is an absolute sort of cornerstone of the way that we have to work well together Um, we have to be very good at holding ourselves accountable and also understanding that you know the sales end of of sapient knows and understands very deeply and very intimately what it's what it's going to take you know to build this feature that they've been selling that doesn't actually exist or you know (laughs) or this feature that we're planning on that they really want to sell really badly but you know it's it's going to take a few months to build. There's a very intimate conversation that occurs between those departments, so things like that doesn't hap- don't happen. Um, so I think that transparency early on when we're, when we're finding new team members is what has really helped us circumvent that potential problem.
0: I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Bluehost. If you want to do anything entrepreneurial, you need a website. And the best place to host your website is Bluehost. Bluehost supports more than 2 million websites worldwide. Their bandwidth is unmetered, so you never have to worry about performance. And the biggest reason to go with Bluehost is their support. I use them because they have 24-7 support based in the United States, and they are amazing at solving any issue you will encounter. Bluehost has anytime money-back guarantee that allows customers to cancel whenever they want without penalty. Right now, Bluehost is offering my listeners free domain name for 1 year, that's worth at least 10 bucks, free SSL certificate that's worth at least 65 bucks and one-click WordPress installation for just $3.95 a month. That is less than a dollar a week to get yourself or your business on the web. Go to scottrossonline.com slash bluehost to take advantage of this offer. That's scottrossonline.com slash bluehost. Get online and take yourself to the next level. You mentioned that a lot of your people are academics, and I can totally understand that, seeing what you just described about the makeup of your, your workforce. So I'm just curious, I mean, It would seem to me, and I may be wrong, it would seem to me that there would need to be a real um, mentoring environment of bringing people from academia and being able to mentor them more in kind of an industrial or commercial context. And so what do you all do? What does your mentorship program look like if you have one? And and how do you go about mentoring the leaders that you're cultivating?
1: Yeah, um, I think. Probably the first thing that we do is um, we meet with, and when I say we, I mean myself and our, our director of engineering, and really anyone that's that's um, any level of seniority at Sapien. We meet with um, everyone, you know, across the board as regularly as possible. Um, I get coffee with everyone at least once a week, um, at uh, almost at, at the entire company. Um, And, and that holds true basically across the board where it is practical. Sometimes that isn't practical, but, um, and, uh, I think having those conversations very, very frankly, um, and very with a lot of transparency about, um, you know, how are you feeling? How is work going? (laughs) What's it, where can we improve? Is there anything that you notice that's really frustrating? Like, do you like using this new tool that we developed? Um, do you, how do you feel about the way we use Google Calendar? Like that, those sorts of really basic questions or like, how's your commute? Um, really, really basic things that you can talk about just over coffee that um, uh, you, you get to, you get a very, very good sense of the way that someone feels and works and, um, you know, their opinions about your process and your organization um, very quickly and very easily and very freely. You don't have to, you don't have to pull that out of people. And so... The, the mentorship comes, I think, with just very frequent, candid, personal conversations about, you know, how's work going? What are the tools that you're using? What are you working on this week? Um, and, and everything, I think, that you need to know to make improvement just comes out very naturally. Uh, so that's, that's probably the, the most important thing that we do.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, one thing that I talk about uh, with this audience and with the people that I, I do seminars for a lot is just, I mean, a couple of things that you just said there stand out to me that can translate to every leader listening. And the first is, um, I always like to joke that the um, the best way to convince people that you care about them is to actually care about them. I know that sounds crazy, but, um, and, and leadership is influence and influence is derived from adding value to a person. You know, the more value you add to their general life, the more influence you have over them and the more they're willing to follow. Um, so it just sounds like that's a big part of what you guys do. Those face-to-face meetings once a week and just really caring about what what their environment is like and if they're feeling satisfaction and fulfillment and moving in the direction they want to go. I always ask a, a couple of questions of everybody. I mean, you're you're super successful on uh you know on a number of levels. Obviously, you had a lot of academic success, and uh, now you're a, an entrepreneur of a thriving company that's doing some really amazing things. What would you say if you had to just leave one kind of nugget for anybody who wants to be successful in what they're trying to do? Is there one favorite lesson that you'd like to share or could share with anybody listening? Um, uh, sort of similar.
1: Yes. Um, sort of similar to what I, I began with, with, with being wary of falling into the comfort that is finding a single source of, of sort of truth rather than, you know, really both listening to the experts, but also finding going wide and deep in your search for answers. I think the number one, um, lesson, like the highlight of, of what, in my opinion, is most helpful when sort of jumping into this sort of thing is become very comfortable and excited um, in searching for answers constantly. Question everything <laughs> um, and everyone, including me, uh, in my opinions, <laughs> um, because, you know, we, if we have a saying here that everyone repeats, it's do the math. Um, which is really just a a saying for go and find the solution yourself, check it with, you know, your authorities and convince yourself that that is truly the correct way to go. Um, I think a lot of times we become so much better um, as, as people and entrepreneurs and scientists or or whoever you, you want to be in the process of learning how to be that person Um, as opposed to, you know, just simply jumping into the shoes and kind of, holding on and flooring it. Um, th- th- I think that's probably the number one thing I would say is, is uh, learn how to be the best learner you can be.
0: <laughs> I like it. I, I love do the math. I, I'm going to adopt that because the thing I love about that is kind of like the word dude, you could say it in 30 <laughs> different ways, right? Like, yeah. well, well do, do the math or do the math. You know I mean? You could really, <laughs> yeah. you could, it, just, it, it really could fit with any, any context i like it a lot. yeah yeah we use
1: it for everything we don't know how to set up some new tool like oh just you know go i gotta go do the math now because i don't know how to set this thing up or (laughs) we gotta convince ourselves of you know why why is this happening well let's let's all go do the math in the other room really quick
0: I know that our audience is shocked that a group of quantum scientists would have a phrase like do the math as a cornerstone of your leadership principles. That's a stunning, stunning development here at the podcast today. Um, One last kind of universal question I ask is, uh, I'm sure you have a lot of, 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 books that maybe people that, uh, the average person wouldn't read, but do you have a favorite book that really influenced you as a leader, as a, as a success, as somebody into personal development, whatever that you like to recommend to people?
1: Um, I don't know that I have a book that comes to mind when you ask that, but I don't know that it, that if I recommended it, it would achieve the same thing that I, um, that it did for me, but I, Walter Isaacson's book on Einstein actually um, was probably, <laughs> that was immediately what came to mind. Um, I think one of the ones that, that influenced me in ways that are, are maybe a little bit more intangible in this discussion because it, it gave me a glimpse into someone that, sort of some, uh, some practices and some habits and some lifestyles that I really wanted to emulate and of course, you kind of have to pick and choose with Einstein because he was—he was, he was a, a, wild dude. Um, but uh, that's—that's that's the first book that comes to mind: Walter Isaacson's uh, biography on Einstein.
0: Yeah, it's a terrific book. I love biographies, and that one in particular is is brilliant. I mean, I love the whole discussion of how he, his his practice of thought experiments and just trying to think about how that could apply to every aspect of your life is really amazing um so tell me what's next for sapient i mean where where you guys go from here well um we're in a very the
1: really exciting part of of uh and very fortunate part of some startups lifetimes uh where we're we sort of see the uh um we're we see the very steep slope upward um right in front of us um and so that's kind of what we're tackling right now we're setting up um, all sorts of internal infrastructure to, to grow the team by multiples because that's a very, you know, you go into that thinking like, oh, okay, I've got to hire 40 people. That's not a, not a big deal until you spend more than two seconds thinking about it. And you're like, oh God, okay, I've got to look into office space. I've got to look into what technology am I going to use to organize them? How am I going to give them all phones? It becomes a very um, kind of difficult uh, prospect, but we're, we're at the point where we're having fun Planning how we're going to expand as quickly as we want to, um, so we're we're exploring different regions of the world, um, setting up sort of remote um, uh, HQs in different regions of the world. Um, you know, planning our next few hardware projects. You know, what devices are we going to build next? Who are we going to focus on? You know, what industry are we going to focus on next? Um, so it's uh, it's exciting times. We're we're performing better. Um, in terms of reducing energy consumption than we ever imagined that we would. We're delivering values that we're really discovering for the first time. So we we only recently discovered that we could use this data to predict um, equipment needs inside of buildings. So we're exploring what that means on a very large scale when you're managing, you know, tens of thousands of pieces of equipment. Um, so it's an exciting time. We, we're in the, at the beginning of a startup's lifetime where you're just discovering the one thing that you could do really well, but you don't quite have the resources to sort of go to the moon with it. We're in this really cool, fun stage of life where that's still happening, but we have the resources now to go to the moon with it. So we're having fun.
0: It's exciting. I I mean, when you said, you know, adding people sounds easy till you think about it. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's a big takeaway for for me and, and for everybody as I coach as an entrepreneur. It's like... Um, I would rather get stabbed in the eyeball with a toothpick than have to go through a hiring process. I think it's just incredibly challenging, and to, to find good people is maybe the hardest thing there is in business. I mean, the the actual product development and marketing and all that—that's that's it's that's, that's cake compared to the people problem. It's a full time job. Just just finding people, getting to know them, because you can't just
1: throw that sort of thing together. Because you're building, uh, you know, you're you're building an institution. And your institution is made up of people. So you can't just sort of throw around, you know, find these people with this GPA, with this many years of experience who have these words on their resume. You really have to take the time to get to know people. And you have to, you know, your own employees and your current team has to spend a lot of time getting to know them to ultimately decide, you know, do we want to work together? And a lot of the times people discover very organically that yes, we do or no, we don't and you have to be okay with with uh, spending that time. But at the end of the day, it's a lot of fun because you, you get to grow a big family um, and a big team that, that does some really exciting things.
0: Yeah, amen. So uh, are you guys expanding outside of like traditional businesses to, I don't know, public sector or education or anything like that? That's like markets that you see new opportunities for?
1: Yes. Um, so we, we do everything virtually every kind of commercial building except for uh, residential buildings. Um, and we've found that that's, that's where we very easily specialize. Everything from um, from industrial buildings and warehouses and, and assembly lines to just regular old sort of run-of-the-mill um, big commercial office spaces with just cubicles. But we're finding recently that uh, university campuses are are particularly... Low hanging fruit to generate a lot of value for the university. It's very easy for us to, to help reduce carbon footprints and, and reduce utility bills by uh, sometimes a multiple more than what we normally see with commercial office buildings. So we're really focusing on, on university campuses at the moment.
0: Wow, that's exciting. Oh, well, I mean, if you could do anything to reduce the bill I pay to Baylor for my daughter every year, that would be uh, very, very, very awesome. And that's no offense to Baylor Sickle Bears. But uh, anyway, just throwing it out there, Sam. <laughs> that's the pers- idea. A <laughs> little personal thing there for me, just a little plea. Uh, well, listen, it's been terrific chatting with you. I have enjoyed getting to know you, and you've added a lot of value to our listeners. Thank you so much. And I wish you all the best. And I, I hope for a huge things for Sapient moving forward.
1: Thank you very much, Scott. I appreciate it. It's been great being on your podcast.
0: What a great conversation with Sam. Before we go, I just wanted to review some key insights that he shared with us that stood out to me. Number one, sometimes you have to stay out of your employees way. I mean, Sam leads a group of super talented and smart individuals. And when you're leading a team of astrophysicists, he says it's best to just let them run. I mean, don't rein them in or constrain them, provide the overall company vision and let them use their skills to bring the business further. And I just think this is a huge lesson. I see so many leaders trying to micromanage their people and not allowing their people to be all that they're meant to be. I mean, you hired them for a reason, or you recruited them for a reason, or you know they've performed and shown up on your radar for a reason let them be the thing that they are. You know, Just put them in the position to win and then let them go. Um, it doesn't just apply to science or technology, obviously. Uh, I think there's a takeaway for everybody here. Uh, number two thing was stay in the foxhole. I mean, even as this company grows, Sam makes an attempt to meet with every team member for a weekly coffee discussion. And though it takes a big chunk of his schedule, he said this is key for staying in touch with how the company can grow and improve. And I couldn't um, you know, echo that more strongly Uh, As I've said many times, you know one of the curses of leadership is that you're the last to know. I mean, you're going to be the last person to find out everything because they're going to try to keep it from you and you've got to stay connected to your people so you have your finger on the pulse of what's really going on in their hearts, what's really going on in your culture, what's really going on in your organization. And that is the only way that you're going to be able to navigate. It's like a GPS for your leadership to know what's going on with your people. The third big thing that I took away is there's not always an easy answer or a simple fix sometimes you got to embrace the fact that it's going to get hard and it's going to be complicated sam said he had to learn early on to get comfortable with struggling and looking for solutions Now, that's much less uncomfortable than it was for him when he started the company, but he still does it. And he realized it's a strength of his now as a leader to not try to find the simple solution to every problem because that's not always what is best. So I really enjoyed the conversation with Sam. I hope you did too. If you want to check out more about his work, go to scottrossonline.com. You can also take a look at some of the projects that I'm working on over there. And I want to thank you again so much for listening. We'll see you back here next Wednesday with a new episode. Until then, God bless you.